0: I want to begin with uh, kind of an imaginary scenario. So these these are always a little risky, but we're gonna we're gonna try this. <laughs> anyone anyone here like to go out to like a nice restaurant to eat? Anybody like doing that? Greg does. All right. Everybody else likes Applebee's, Denny's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you guys can. You're gonna have to do some work here then, because this is all about going out to a nice restaurant. Um, all right. So so just just work with me here. Let's let's imagine a scenario that you've received. Maybe you have been working really hard at work and you get an unexpected bonus, uh, which is truly is an imaginary scenario, right? This doesn't actually happen, but uh it, it's fun to, to dream and imagine this. Or or maybe uh just you your tax return or or something something unexpected happens you get a you get an anonymous just wad of cash in your mailbox just that that happens sometimes right so so imagine that you've gotten this large uh, financial windfall, and so to celebrate you ask a friend out let's let 's go out and celebrate you know whatever this is this promotion this bonus this gift let 's go out and and celebrate and it 'll be my treat I just want to to uh, Extend the generosity that I've received to you as my friend. I'm, it's my treat and we're just going to go crazy. We're going to get so much food at the nicest restaurant that you can imagine. So you guys can do the work here on your, on your own in your mind, which restaurant this would be. For me, I would imagine something like Campground and Arcata. That's a a place that I like to go with Dallas. And so when it's time to order, you go. All out, you, you're like, you got so much money in this gift that, that money is no object at this meal, and so you get a bunch of appetizers, you get a bunch of side dishes, you get a really nice glass of wine, and to top it off, you order the tomahawk steak, just cooked to perfection. I was really hoping Aaron and Steven were going to be here today for this, but they're not feeling well, so... Uh, but. They can listen on the podcast, maybe. (laughs) So so you you make your big order, and you're just imagining in your head like it's going to take three people to bring all this stuff to your table. They move you to a larger table because it's not going to fit. They gave you a table for two, but you need like a table for six for all the food that's going to be there. And then it's time for your friend to order their food. And, and so they take one last look at the menu, and and they close it, and they proceed to order several items as well, but they're all from the kids' menu. So they're like, I want some mac and cheese, I want a couple corn dogs, uh, you have tater tots here, yeah, let's do some tater tots, and and I want a double order of chicken strips with every dip and sauce that you have. I want ranch, I want honey mustard. I want barbecue sauce. Uh, and and for their beverage, they want an extra large glass of milk. And, and as you and the server wait for them to just say, oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. That's not what I'm really going to eat. They just hand, hand the menu to the server and say, I can't wait. I'm so hungry. This is going to be an amazing dinner. Now, I love a good corn dog as much as the next person, uh, but it is not my go to meal to celebrate my anniversary or to uh, mark a, a significant moment in my life, like a promotion at work or, you know, you sold your house or something like that. It's, this is a corn dog is not my go to for that kind of Meal and, and, and I think this happens for us as we age and as we mature, maybe, uh, if we have some financial flexibility, your taste and your palate, your preferences, they, we could say they begin to uh, appreciate different kinds of food, food that doesn't need ketchup or ranch, right? Um, because you've become an adult, you're, you're an adult now, and it's time to put down the kids' menu. Now, as we are continuing in our series through this New Testament letter called 1 Corinthians, we see the Apostle Paul, he's the pastor who planted this church in the city of Corinth. He's telling this church in a spiritual sense that it's time to put down the kids' menu. It's time for you to put down the kids' menu in a spiritual sense. And we've already seen that, that this church this church family in Corinth, they've been plagued with all this division and all this tension, and that they're in danger of being torn apart by these conflicts. And and Paul has called them, remember, you've been given this new identity in Jesus. You're no longer defined by your social status or by your connection to certain leaders. You're no longer... Defined by your education or your wealth or your sexuality or your ethnicity or any other factor defined by the culture around you where other people find their value and significance. In Jesus, we are defined by the grace that we have received through Jesus' death on the cross. We're given a new life, a new identity, a new definition of who we are. And because of that new identity, we are to live, to conduct ourselves in a new kind of way. And so that theme continues as we move into chapter three of first Corinthians, as we see the apostle Paul talk about what I'll call the mark, the miss, and the mend. So we're going to read uh, in first Corinthians chapter three, verses one through 9 and it's on page 953 if you're using one of the bibles from the table in the back 1 Corinthians chapter 3 beginning in verse 1 but i brothers could not address you as spiritual people but as people of the flesh as infants in christ i fed you with milk not solid food for you were not ready for it and even now you are not yet ready for you were still of the flesh So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray once more. Father, just as we've confessed week by week, moment by moment, we are in need of you as we come to your word. I am in need as, as a preacher and teacher for you uh, to open my mind and, and to use me uh, to speak good news here today, news about Jesus. And in each of us are in need as hearers of the word, uh, that that your word would go deep into our hearts and minds, and that you would change and transform us through your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you uh, would give us understanding and give us grace today as we come to your word. Show us the way, Jesus, we pray in your name, amen. All right so we'll start with what I'm calling the mark and and if if you know what I mean by a mark meaning it's a it's a target or it's a goal or it's a point that we are trying to reach sometimes I mean I guess if you're from Britain or something you would say like you know, you talk about your grades from school. I'm getting good marks this year. I'm not going to do the British accent, but uh, sometimes you hear people talk about their grades. I'm getting really good marks, or my marks aren't so great this year. I've never actually heard a person saying that. It's another imaginary scenario, but I know people say that somewhere. So as people who follow Jesus, we we have marks as well, or we have goals or targets uh, as well. And And it's not to say that we're being graded, um, it's just, it's just a way of assessing where we're at in our relationship with Jesus. And this is true for us individually, and this is true for us as, as a community. And, and I think in a way we can, we can look at all of 1st Corinthians, this whole letter as, as a kind of assessment of how, how is the church community in Corinth doing? Have they hit the mark. Are they hitting the mark that they need to? And so in order to help them understand this, Paul, so far what we've seen in the first couple chapters is Paul is helping them re-establish what the mark actually is. What is the goal? And he's kind of helping them recalibrate. Now, sometimes you do this if you work in an office or you use a computer a lot, and sometimes you, you go my computer is not working right. Like it's it's acting weird. It's not doing it's not doing things that it needs to be doing. And you call the IT person, and what do they say? Have you restarted your computer yet? <laughs> it's like the first step, right? Like restart your computer, uh, and and then if the problem continues, then you know then we can talk about it. But most of the time, we just you can solve ninety percent of the problems by restarting, and that's kind of what Paul is doing here in this letter is restarting or recalibrating the Corinthian church like let's just reset let's go back to the beginning where we need to and we'll and we'll go from there so so what Paul has said so far is the The mark, Uh, to put it simply, the the mark, the goal, the center of the Christian life is the cross of Jesus. That's the center, the goal, everything that the Christian life is about. And he's, he's shown us that the cross is the wisdom and the power of God on display. The hidden wisdom of God now on display. And that the Son of God, that Jesus giving his life on the cross, is the eternal plan of God for our salvation. And so the mark or the goal of the Christian life is to orient our whole lives around the cross. That that our values, our worldview, the lens that we look through, that the cross is shaping all of those things. And so this means that things like humility and meekness and generosity, sacrificial love, social, racial equality in, in many kinds of ways, those kinds of things, those kinds of values, they're flowing from a place not of what society is telling us is important or what culture is telling us is important. Those things are flowing from a place of having our hearts our values, our view of things reshaped by the cross of Jesus. And so this, this is going to change, or it should change, everything. Our relationship with God is reshaped by the cross. We go from being enemies of God to becoming children of God. And that happens through the cross, through what Jesus did for us. It doesn't happen any other way. Our relationship with ourselves changes we no longer are the center of the universe jesus is the center of the universe and our our epicenter the core of who we are goes from being ourselves to becoming jesus we've been reshaped uh, and 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 then our relationship with with everyone else changes our lives at home our lives within our church community, our lives at work, our lives in the broader community. All of those relationships with other people is reshaped by the cross of Jesus. And as we saw last week, this change, this reorientation, this new life, it happens in us through the work of the Holy Spirit. So to come to see who Jesus is, to truly value and understand and trust in the work that he's done for us on the cross, that's a gift. That's a gift that's given to us. We don't don't work that up for ourselves. We don't come to it through an intellectual journey. Uh, We don't work our way or earn our way into this. It's all grace, this, this reshaping. It's all grace through the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's this gracious gift, this gracious work of the Holy Spirit that Paul finishes chapter 2 with. He says, we have, we share together the mind or the spirit of Christ. And so in, in saying this, he's he's meaning that the Holy Spirit has given us together the understanding, the trust to believe in Jesus, and, and we become spiritual people. Uh, in in a in a true spiritual sense not a like meaning our lens has been changed our worldview's been changed by the Holy Spirit so Paul clearly believes the Corinthians you that he's writing to you guys fall into that category you are spiritual the Holy Spirit has given you the mind of Christ he talks to them in a way that lets us know his conviction his belief is that they're, they're in the Holy Spirit. They, they've been reshaped by the cross. They've put their trust in Jesus. He's not, he's not questioning their belief in Jesus. He's not questioning their salvation. He believes that the Spirit of God has shown them the beauty and the value of Jesus. And the way he talks to them is inclusive. Meaning that he, he says things like we and us. Right? He's talking about them together, him and the Corinthians. He's not ashamed to claim them as his family because they have the same mark, the same goal. They've been given the same values and vision by the Holy Spirit. But then he says, you are not living like that. You're not living in a way that is consistent with having been shaped by the cross. You are missing the mark. Now, in spite of the fact that they are following Jesus, they've been given the Holy Spirit, Paul says, you are not hitting the mark. You are missing the mark. You've truly grasped the message of the cross, but your life is not showing that. Your life is not reflecting that. And they're missing the mark so badly that Paul says, I'm not even able. We need to recognize this for what it is. Up to this point, this is the most painful thing that Paul has said in this letter. It is really a stinging rebuke. I can't even talk to you like you're my brothers and sisters. Even though you are, I can't talk to you like that. Because your life is not reflecting that. That's a very painful rebuke. Again, he's not questioning their salvation. He's not questioning their belief in Jesus. But he's also not holding back from pointing out, you are missing the mark. You're not living in a way that, that lines up with your values. For all their belief, And their conviction that they are mature, that they have great spiritual wisdom and stature, that they have secrets of of hidden knowledge that other people don't have, that they're strong in their spiritual gifts. We know this is something that the Corinthian church, they were proud and arrogant because of the gifts that they've been given by the Spirit of God. And speaking in tongues and, and prophecy and words of knowledge, that they had arrogance about that. They have a strong theology and grasp of doctrine. Paul says, in spite of all these things, in spite of the way that you view yourselves, I have to relate to you as I would to an infant. In reality, he's saying, you're a bunch of babies in a spiritual sense. He says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready. Now, Paul, this is something that he's known about the Corinthians from the moment he's come into town. That that he recognizes their tendencies. He sees the things that they value outside of, of the cross, right? He's coming in as a missionary to people who've never heard the message of Jesus before. And and we saw at the beginning of chapter two, he preached and he led and he taught and he lived in a way that was pointing always to Jesus and to the cross, not to his own gifts, not to his own abilities, not to his own strength or charisma. So he he was it was very important to him. He could see this in them. I've got to come to them on a very basic level, pointing to Jesus and not to myself. But even after several years, the Corinthian church community, they still needed to be treated as spiritual infants, not as mature adults. He says, "You're still not ready. You're still living like the people that you were before you believed." In Jesus. He says in verse 3, you're still of the flesh. And again, this is important. He's not saying you're longer saved. He's not saying that you lost your salvation because of the way you live. He's just saying you are living like someone who doesn't believe in the cross of Jesus. You are acting like you're still of the flesh, that your values and your way of life, they're not expressing or displaying this new identity that you've been given in Jesus, and that's a sign of immaturity. You're spiritual babies. Now, for people whose highest value is wisdom and maturity and social status, which is what the church in Corinth was, this is this is brutal. You are infants. You are babies. Now, Paul is speaking in love. I. He, he does this carefully. You are my brothers and sisters. We're family together. I'm coming to you as a father to his children. And that's the overall tone of the letter. But he says, here's a couple examples of what I'm talking about. In, in verses three and four, he says, there's jealousy and there's strife among you. Basically, you're acting like a bunch of kids who don't wanna share their toys. Or you see kids do this where one day, I mean, I have a bunch of kids. You guys know this, and a bunch of you have a bunch of kids. Kids are they are pretty mean sometimes at school, and, and one day there's four kids, and they're all friends, and then the next day one of those kids is just arbitrarily excluded from that group of friends somehow. And you're like, they're six. How did they come up with this? How How is it possible that... They didn't call each other last night and and plan it out. Like tomorrow, we're going to be really mean to this kid, and it's always your kid that they're mean to. It's just gnarly, and and you're going how they're they're acting so mean? How could they do this? I can't believe that they would do this. And and Paul is saying you're. You're acting in a jealous way. You're causing strife. You're tearing your community apart. You're not reflecting the self-sacrificing love of the cross. When we cause destruction in the church community, when we create division, that's not a reflection of God's Spirit living and working in us. We're behaving in a human way, in a way that doesn't reflect the cross. Now, now, what's Paul doing here? Because he's asking them. He's saying, you know, what does he say in verse three? For while there's this jealousy and there's this strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? When one says, "I follow Paul," and another, "I follow Apollos," are you not being merely human? What's he doing? with these questions. We can, we can think of them as like a diagnostic question. You need to go to the mechanic because you don't know how to fix your own car. And, and they say, well, what's going on? What's it, what's it sound like? Dallas and I took a first aid class yesterday uh, for continuing in foster care. And, and that's one of the first things you do with first aid is if the person is conscious, hopefully, uh, you ask them, what's going on? What are the signs and the symptoms. And Paul is asking the Corinthians some diagnostic questions. And he's telling them, reflect on your own life. Reflect on what's going on in you. What's, where are you missing the mark, Paul is asking them. And, and we, can, we can take this opportunity to ask ourselves some questions. Some, some of the same kinds of questions. Where are you searching for growth and progress in your life? That's a diagnostic question. What are the ways that I want to grow? What are the goals that I have? Who or what am I looking to for a sense of significance? What relationship defines my life? Is it a romantic relationship? Is it the relationship I have with my children? Is it the relationship I have with my career or my education? Is it my relationship to money or to status? What defines you? And how do you measure if you are growing or progressing in those ways, in those goals that you have? And these are questions that we continually need to be asking ourselves. And in community, we can ask them of one another in a gracious, loving way. Regarding this passage, uh, Stephen Um, who's a pastor, he says, Paul is suggesting that the very root of the problem is that they are, they are aligned with the wrong source Ultimately, the decision to seek growth in other things and other people is a turn inward. It is to trust oneself above all others to determine what growth looks like and how it is to be achieved. Growth is ultimately derailed when we search for it in ourselves. A life that is shaped by the cross of Jesus should be the mark or the goal of all those who who claim to follow Jesus. And whenever we look for growth and for significance outside of that, we will and are missing the mark. And finally, uh, we can see in this passage what we could call the mend or the adjustment that we need to see. So so we saw in chapter one of this letter that the particular struggle that the Corinthian church community was having uh, was about unity, specifically the divisions that they were experiencing because of the leaders that they followed. And and Paul all through it's actually all the way through chapter four that this is going to be talked about. Uh, But he's now laying the groundwork for, here's how we're going to fix this. Here's how we're going to correct this and make this adjustment that you need to make. Now, if you find your significance and your value in the leaders that you follow, you will remain immature And also disappointed. That's just like a side note. That's not in the text. But it's very true. That if you find your significance and your value in the leaders you follow, you will remain immature and you will be disappointed. And this is true in every sense. This happens at work. Happens in sports. Happens in any person that you look up to. Uh, If you make them the source of your significance, if they define your values and who you are as a person, you will be an immature, like, stunted kind of person uh, in, in many kinds of ways. But this is especially true within the church of Jesus. When we live in the way of Jesus, our view of leadership and our relationship to leadership needs to be reshaped. It needs to be recalibrated. We need to restart our computer. <laughs> uh, and, and so what is, what is our life, what does our view of leadership need to be uh, reshaped by? What do you think so far that we've seen? What, what's your answer for this? I'm going to open this up. What, what does our view of leadership and our relationship to leadership need to be shaped by? What do you think it is? Yeah, our relationship to the Father through the cross, right? That's, this, this letter is all about the cross. If, if I ask another question about 1 Corinthians at any point, just say the cross. Like, it's probably what it's going to be. And this is, this is the point of what the Apostle Paul is trying to say, is everything, including your view of leadership, the way you relate to other leaders if you're a follower, or if you're a leader yourself, this is the way, this is how you need to be reshaped through the cross. And that connects to our relationship with the Father. So um, for Paul, this is, this is the way that he wants to mend and correct uh, this, this maturity, this dysfunction and division in the church community. He, he does this by saying, what, who is Apollos? What then is, is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Now, if, if the main ways, one of the main ways that the Corinthian church was divided was through their um, aligning themselves with different leaders and teachers and pastors in the early church, uh, they were essentially grading each other, looking at each other in community. Who do you follow? you know what what kind of style of leadership is your is your jam like ha, what who's the best speaker like who's who's the one that's really good at discipling people who's the one that really helps us understand these kinds of things and and they were grading each other and separating themselves dividing among themselves uh, on the basis not of following jesus but on the basis of which leader speaking style ministry philosophy that they had adopted and so their preferences of leadership that's what had become their mark or their measuring stick that was the way that they were grading themselves and it's the way that they were measuring or grading and dividing themselves up among each other how can they mend this now we have to do what, what Paul is showing us here in order to fix this. We must view leadership in the church primarily as service. In the church of Jesus, leaders are servants, not saviors. In the church of Jesus, leaders are servants, not saviors. Whether it's Paul or Apollos in Corinth, in it's John Calvin or Martin Luther or John Wesley in church history, or whether it's Francis Chan or Matt Chandler or Beth Moore or Bill Johnson or Pope Francis, whoever, whoever it is today, all leaders in the Church of Jesus are to be thought of as servants of Jesus. Primarily just as servants. They are people who serve. No matter how powerful and dynamic and gifted these leaders might be, they cannot save you from your sin. They cannot give you a new identity. And if they do, it's not going to bring life to you. It's not going to be a means of grace. It's going to be a means of death and destruction in your heart and in your life. All leaders in the church of Jesus They've been given an assignment or a calling uh, by God that ultimately leads to service. It's all about serving. And and to illustrate this, Paul uses an agricultural analogy. He says in verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. God gave the growth. So Paul and Apollos, or Calvin, or Beth Moore, or, or John Wesley, whoever it is, Work hard. Do do the work. Plant water. uh, Do the job that you've been given by God. But where does the growth come from? Where does the growth come from? It comes from God. And as hard as any leader, any Christian could work, as much care as we could give, as many hours as we could spend picking out the perfect field and measuring the pH in the soil and and engaging the right day based on the weather and the tides, whatever it might be. I don't think tides have anything to do with farming. I just wanted to throw that in there as a factor. Um, You know, using the right seed, you and I and any other human, we can't make anything grow, nothing. And I have killed a lot of plants to, to evidence this truth. Only God can grow and transform us. Only the Spirit of God living in us, empowering us, strengthening us, can bring real, lasting, mature growth. So if that's true, to to measure yourself, to find your significance based on the leader that you follow, or, or the the leader that you align yourself with, it's just stupid. Like it's it's idiotic in the truest sense of the word. Like it's so it's so misguided and foolish. It's it's. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you guys if you follow sports. Uh, there's always like these power rankings of like which team is you know week by week who is improved and they're totally arbitrary. They're they're pretty ridiculous usually. But like. To to find your significance or measure yourself based on the leader that you follow, it would be like doing a power rankings of like who the best janitor is. Like no one's ever done a power rankings for for janitors. We we can recognize janitors, right? And I've been a janitor, so this is not a knock on a janitor at all. Um, we, we can recognize that work is necessary and that work is useful and it's important, but we don't, no one's reading a book on janitorial work. No one's given a TED talk on being a janitor. No one has made a list in their minds or talked about on a podcast, the five most influential janitors in history. No one's arguing about janitors on Facebook, probably. I mean, Facebook, you can argue about anything, but I've never seen an argument about janitors. No, this janitor's way better. I can't recall when I was working as a janitor that anyone asked me to mentor them. (laughs) You know, would you just meet me for coffee to talk about what it's like to be a janitor? Um, you know what lessons I could learn from your janitorial experience? It's just not happening, and and this is Paul's point about leadership in the Church of Jesus. Leadership in the church is important and necessary. So this is not to say that leadership in the church is not important. Okay, we need to understand this. Jesus set up the church to have leaders, under shepherds, people who lead in the church, and he calls and equips people to lead in the church. But individual leaders are not essential. I am not important or essential in Jesus' work in the town church. Like, somebody else could do this. And that's true of every single leader in the church. You as a leader, I as a leader, there, we are not essential. God works through us. He, he does things that are essential and important through us, but we ourselves are not. So in comparison to God, no matter how gifted or smart or charismatic, all leaders are janitors. Okay, That's all we are. We are servants. So neither he nor plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. And Paul, what he's doing here is he's pointing to the unity that comes when we start to think about leadership like this. If the people who lead, they're united in their view of leadership, we are here to serve. That's what leading is. Then we don't start to look at each other as rivals, as people who lead factions or tribes. But if people who lead, people who serve... Work together. We are a team. We're a family. We have the same mark, the same goal. We are siblings together in one family. Paul says this is the unity that comes. He who waters, he who plants are one. They're united. And each will receive his wages according to his labor." for we, he says, speaking of himself and Apollos, we together are God's fellow workers. And he's not saying that, that we are on the same level as God. He's saying we are, we are God's possession. We are fellow workers together of God. And you are God's field, God's building. And I, I love what Paul does here at the end of this section in uniting himself with Apollos. And I have We don't really know what their relationship was like. He speaks positively of Apollos, but we don't know really what their relationship was like. We know that Paul's had some um, arguments and disagreements with other leaders like Barnabas uh, earlier in church history. But what he's doing here is he's modeling for the Corinthians. Here's what unity looks like. Here's what serving and following Jesus together looks like, and he's going to be teaching them this throughout this entire letter. He says, me and Apollos, we're united. We are fellow servants. Yes, we have different gifts. We have different ways that God has made us. But we have the same goal. We have the same desire. We want to be rewarded by God, not for how many followers we get or how many people are on Team Apollos or Team Paul or how influential we are, that's not the reward. The reward is God giving us his his blessing and saying, You this is what you've earned, or this is what you've you've won through your work. And again, it's not that's not salvation, that's not God's approval. It's just saying you did what you were called to do. You were faithful with the gifts and the calling that I gave you. And the reward is to enjoy that together to enjoy what God has given us together. And it's in serving Jesus' family together, whatever role we have with our different giftings, that we find joy and we find unity. And it's important that we see that this isn't just for leadership. This is not just a leadership lesson. It's really true for all of us in Jesus' family because Jesus calls all of us to be servants, leaders included. So... So the exhortation or the, the call for each of us today is to find our calling. What is it that God is calling me to do within our church family? What is, what is the way that he has made me? How has he wired me? What are the different ways that he's equipped me? And then develop these gifts that God has given to you. What does it look like for you to be somebody who plants? What does it look like for you to be the one who is watering? Ultimately, what does it look like for you to serve Jesus' church together? And that's what our lives look like when we begin to walk in the way of Jesus as we become cross-shaped people. We can't do this by looking to Paul, even though he's a good example of this, or Apollos, or any other person or any other leader, because then we're doing exactly what he's telling us not to do. But the way that we can do this is by looking to Jesus. He's the one who led the way. He's the one who didn't just live a cross-shaped life. He went to the cross. He didn't just serve. He became the capital S servant. He's the servant king. Mark ten forty five. Jesus says, I I didn't come here to be served, even though I am the, the eternal son of God. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many, to set people free from serving themselves to serving me and to serving one another. He's the one who showed us the way. And in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is having this very same discussion with his disciples It says that a dispute, an argument arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest, right? Here's Jesus' disciples, men who've been with him for a long period of time, and they're arguing about who is the greatest. Who is the greatest? And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, I can follow someone like that. I can serve because I have been served. And that's that's true for each one of us. None of us is greater than our master, King Jesus. And so we can serve as he has served. And we do it in the power of the cross. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to be among us as the one who serves I pray that that you would forgive each one of us for the ways that we have idolized different leaders, different people who have had great spiritual impact on us, great impact on our lives, but we've we've begun to look at them in a wrong way, and it's led to hurt, it's led to uh, disillusionment, it's led to anger and bitterness, it's led to cynicism for many of us. And I pray that um, that you would wipe that clean for us in our hearts today. That we would be refreshed and renewed in our vision of Jesus, our servant king. Jesus, that we would learn to walk with you, to follow in your footsteps, and to serve. Thank you for paying the price for us, for setting us free from having to to build our own identity or to create our own significance. You've set us free into this new life of serving with joy and gladness because our reward is you. For those of us who are weary of serving, would you give us life and refreshment in Jesus today? And for those of us who are questioning what it looks like to serve, Or for those of us who have resisted serving because of the discomfort and the inconvenience of it, would you call us to follow Jesus in the way of the cross? And would all of us worship you today, Jesus, for who you are and what you've done for us? We pray in your name. Amen.